Cisco's virtual CMTS. No GUI or no CLI? We're going to find out. I'm Brady Volp, founder of NimbleThis and the Volp Firm. This is episode 76 of Get Your Tech on our show on all things Doxis. With me today are two great guests. First up is John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, welcome back. Uh, good to be here, as usual. All right. And next up is Jason Miller, technical marketing engineer at Cisco Systems. Jason, good to have you back. Been a while, Jason. Good. Yeah, thanks. Good to be back with you all. Yeah. So, Jason, um, it's been a while. Uh, we talked... We were on a panel at Angacom uh, at their virtual conference, and we were talking about a number of things, one of which uh, was virtual CMTSs. I got really excited to hear that Cisco is working on virtual CMTSs, something I actually did not know about. So I thought it'd be great to put this show together specifically to talk about what you guys are doing in that area. A lot of folks actually don't know you guys are working on this. So I think we'll just kind of jump right in and get a little bit of history about, you know, uh, sort of let's actually back up and talk, you know, what your topic was at Angacom. We did a little, John and I did a little coverage of that last time. Um, but at Angacom, you were talking a little bit about, you know, kind of what you're doing in that arena. And again, I was kind of surprised you're doing CM, virtual CMTSs. So what was your talk week at Angacom again? And yeah. that'll be the, how we lead into this. Good, good. Yeah, on, on Angacom, what we were kind of talking about wasn't so much about the product, but probably what some of the changes involved um, to for a customer when they're actually going to start using that product. So there is some um, inherent things that are different about using a virtual CMTS and what you might do with a chassis-based one. Um, and that was some of the points that we covered at Anga. Um, one of my colleagues covered the, the move to Remote 5. Obviously, when you move to a virtualized CMTS, you need to run to some type of distributed access architecture. Um, for us, it's Remote 5, what's deployed today. Um, FMA, you know, options down the road. But those, those are big changes. Um, so there was some of the things about that. What I was talking about was actually changes that are done when, when we're actually interfacing the, the virtual CMTS itself. For, for Cisco, um, we elected to kind of change how we were going about doing things. We now uh, interface it with using stream and telemetry in a dashboard. We use APIs. So there was a lot of changes like that that I was highlighting on that uh, when we did that uh, the session together for Anga. Yeah, it was a fun session. I mean, we, we covered a lot of different things. We even talked about like green technology and stuff, which I think virtual yeah. CMTSs really fall into sort of that green technology, moving from a, a, a large analog CMTS and analog optics into uh, virtual CMTS and remote FI. So uh, the, the whole green segment of, of that was also interesting as well. Um, but getting, you know, getting into this whole concept of Cisco doing a virtual CMTS um, again, was was surprising to me. So, do you guys actually have a virtual it a CMTS? Secret. Yeah, it was never a secret. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It was, it, was, it was just kept from me. Was, you were you were hiding it from me. So, so John, you said it was never a secret. I, I mean, so when did you guys actually start getting into the virtual CMTS? It had to be over five years. Twenty sixteen um, was the first time that we kind of actually had a, a, a some things that we were demoing at one of the SCT expos. There was a one in. In Philadelphia, I think that was 2016, but I kind of lose track. Yeah, 
So, um, and yeah, I just even say on, on the first one, you know, the kind of what I was talking about, the whole thing as remote five started coming into more of something that was deployable, it became apparent that if you have a CMTS chassis with some type of giggy coming in and some type of giggy coming out, that you no longer are tied to have to use ASICs and FPGAs and other kind of specialized equipment that we need to get RF connections out of that platform. And once you do that, that becomes an opportunity now of porting that software that was doing the CMTS control onto some type of you know general compute resource. And that's what we showed on the, the 2016, the, the benefit being there that if, if you can separate the hardware from the software, then you can, as the, the new hardware processing equipment comes out, you could quickly jump onto that, where today when we're more of a chassis based, there's a, a lot longer lead time before we can integrate you know, a new processor into our platform because we have to productize it into a supervisor and all that kind of thing. But you're not talking about just extending the capabilities of the CB, Cisco CBR8, right? You're you're still right. talking about a different actually product. that was right. That, that's that's a good point. So that's what we did initially uh, because there was you know a, a quick interest that hey we want to see virtualized we want to see what this is and I think that's. For us, that was a virtualization. We took the iOS software, virtualized it, put it on a VM, and we separated the hardware and the software from that. Um, you get the benefits of you know of being able to use the new hardware and all that kind of thing. What you don't get though is you still end up with somewhat of a monolithic software feature where it becomes more difficult to add new new features. So, you know, you, you always have these things as far as if you add a new feature here, you need to make sure that it doesn't create any kind of problems with other components. And when you move more to what we call cloud, you know, cloud-based type products, when you move to that, well, then that, that's a different architecture. So that's ultimately what the product that we talked about at the Angus show and the product we have now is, we call it uh, the CMBR, Cloud Native Broadband Router, but it takes advantage of those microservices and basically rewrote the entire Doxus, you know, portions that we did on our CMTS. So so your first step... Yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the point I was trying to make before where... You know, people are using the term virtual very loosely now. And we used that term at the beginning. We pivoted and said, no, we need to go cloud native and totally rewrite everything to have containers and all this other stuff. I don't know all the the, the terminology, Kubernetes, containers, uh, JSON, file, whatever. Um, but it was it's not semantics, right? I mean, but people are using the term virtual just to mean generically the whole thing. Uh, but originally, we moved from virtual to cloud native, and there was a difference. Yeah, and uh, and I think I, I mean I think the terminology and and, and Jason kind of you you just you set you said it quickly, but it's it's kind of important what you said. You 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 took the iOS, which is the operating system in in your CMTSs, and you put it on a virtual machine. So you you basically put it on a server, like just a right. a computer. And yeah. and that was kind of your first step, and that that's the virtualization part. You know, we yeah. we talk about cloud and and the, these like kind of nebulous things that people have a difficult time sort of wrapping their heads around sometime. But but taking the operating system out of your CMTS, which you know, I don't want to give Cisco credit. They they you know Cisco basically created the first CMTS that was compatible with a Docs specification. I think it was like the 7246 that you know the the original one yeah. um, that everyone kind of 
grew up on on the CLI and understanding it. But you took that software 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 operating system and put it on a server. This is kind of what you said, right? Right. And then from there, John, you you were mentioning things like Kubernetes and Docker's and and so the monolithic part, Jason, is like taking that operating system and that's kind of like when we think monolithic, we think like Microsoft. That's a monolithic operating system. And so if you were to take your iOS. That's a monolithic operating system. Uh, the challenges with you have with a monolithic operating system, if you want to make like a small tweak here or a small tweak there, you, you make one code tweak in, a, in a, this huge monolithic operating system and you can break something someplace else yeah. and everything crashes. And then what, John, you were saying with like Kubernetes and containers, the, the reason software people like those environments is you take this monolithic software and you break it up into small little components. So... Uh, and put it into containers, and so um, you know. Let's take something like um, yeah, uh, like the RF portion, or, or um, you know, may, maybe like a Mac controller. Just just like one small section of that monolithic thing. So if I want to make an adjustment to the way that you know timing works in a Mac controller, and I I make an adjustment there, I'm not going to impact something. Uh, another aspect uh, of the software right. application, and then Kubernetes just stands around and it says it monitors all the containers and makes sure that they are all up and running. If one of those containers crashes, Kubernetes comes in and restarts the containers. So that, that's yeah. kind of yeah. that's what you have going on, right? Yeah, good point. Yeah, and if you would have seen, you know, like you said on the first one where we just virtualized the I, the iOS, you. The command line was the same command line. You know, you might everything would have been looking the same. Um, obviously, it was remote file based because it has to be virtualized. But you're right. As we moved on to um, container based, and that's why we we chose the name of a cloud native broadband router because it is built in the soft the same kind of software models that they would do if you were deploying something in the cloud. Um, our intent isn't necessarily that someone's going to deploy a CMTS in a cloud somewhere, uh, but the software is written where the that has the resiliency in the software where like you said uh, Brady with the kubernetes and restarting and those type of things where that's where the resiliency is where today on the CBR8 the chassis based platforms the resiliency is in the hardware being highly redundant when we move more to the other ones then the resiliency is more in the software and if a server fails we have ways to deal with that so what's the benefit for a cable operator like I mean we talk about this cloud stuff but what what would be the benefit of a cable operator to host so so the cmts conceptually now is just running on a server it's not running on a, yeah. on a big box it has to have lots of power lots of cooling um you know lots of rack space so we can consolidate that into a, just a small like a one ru or two ru server right that, that's right what, what right. what's it Size matter power, whether certainly some of that yeah so so what's it matter if the cable operator has that server running in their head end or has it running in the cloud? And yeah. when we say cloud, most it's like the, an Amazon hosted service, yeah. or Google hosted service, or Azure hosted service. Yeah. yeah, there's still there's there's some looking at maybe of, of, of having that. Certainly today, the model is that it's going to be running on on the, the the cable operator's premises. Right now, for for us, the control plane runs through that the the, the CMBR. So does the data plane. And you wouldn't run that necessarily out into a cloud. You'd have to wait until you ship more of the data plane out of there before you would probably do that, or else you're going to have to have a lot more, you know, capacity-wise into the um, AWS. I, I also think just 
even we had looked before at maybe having a, a hosted CMTS where someone else would operate it. And even the smaller operators, they're really, their DOCSIS service is, is a very good business for them. And I think all of them wanted to keep that, that platform close by. Right. Um, so I think that was what I think a lot of people have been more anxious just to, to keep it that way. And I think we're probably reluctant to use something that was maybe had to run in the cloud versus maybe an option to run in the cloud. Okay. So, I mean, we've had, uh, and John's been part of some episodes where we've had other vendors on with virtual CMTSs, and, and they have their reasons for, you know, they say, well, we think virtual is better for X, Y, and Z reasons. So what's kind of driven yeah. you guys to, to look at virtual CMTSs and say this, you know, maybe this is a better way to go than the yeah. traditional hardware um, large CMTSs that you've traditionally always um, used? Yeah, I, I think for us, we want to build CMTS that people want to buy. I don't think it does anyone any good to buy um, to build the best CMTS that nobody either wants to buy or can afford. Um, so I think there was a movement in the cable industry um, with again distributed access architectures that hey we want to we want to explore virtual CMTS. So I think when there's a movement to that, th- there's certainly an interest. I, I can I can tell you from some of our the the, the CBR8 product for example. The density that we have in our current line cards, even ICMTS, I don't think anyone has you know gone beyond that need for that type of uh, a density. But where where Cisco gets some benefit on that is um, as we move into DOCSIS 4.0 and these type of things, we're talking about a real big um, capacity incre- increase per service group. Ultimately, the chassis are built where the line cards and the supervisors have some kind of throughput that they have per line card. And if we have you know, structures that it does eight service groups per line card and it can do this amount of capacity, then when you make these jumps, you have to have di- additional soups. You have to have different type of line cards. When you move into a model of it's virtualized, well, now it's a lot easier to do that scaling because you can kind of scale a lot of that independent. You have you know, compute resources, like how many service groups you can support. And then you have network re- uh, resources on you know, how fast you, know, you can get in and out of this box so that how many, what kind of densities you can do per service group. So as you get, not so much now, but as you get into some of these, the next jump that maybe you know, wherever DOCSIS 4 might be, you're going to need to make those kind of jumps. And I think for, for Cisco and I think for other vendors making a virtual CMTS, those kind of jumps are a lot easier when things are on general compute type servers. Right. So, John, you're normally like the, you're the balance here. And, and so have you had time with your hands on on virtual, on, on Cisco's virtual CMTS? And, you know, from yeah, that perspective, what, a, you know, we, we talk about um, containers and, and putting features into smaller containers. I deal a lot with load balancing, resiliency, partial mode, things that the RF plant screws up the modems and the CMTS has to try to mask those problems, right? Um, If I have a fix or a bug fix, do I upload new iOS that went from 23 megabyte file to now it's, uh, what is it now, Jason? Like close to a gig, I think. Yeah, iOS is huge. I mean, it is huge. We added so many new features, right? Three, one, all that. But every feature has code, and uh, any little change affects the entire thing. And and you know, engineers think, well, why can't the MSO just change the iOS? I'm like, you don't understand. They have a small window of time to do a maintenance window, and you're asking them to do four CMTSs a night 
and they have 500 CMTSs. By the time they do all the CMTSs upgrade, it's time to upgrade again. So it's just like a, it's a constant you know, movement. So yeah, it can take a while, right? So now that we make it cloud native and maybe just small little tweaks and we can even upload new code for BGP or something like a routing protocol to one RPD and say, hey, let's see how that goes for the next two days before I do it mass wide, you know? So, I mean, I think that's kind of cool. The other thing I wanted to point out was it's no secret that Cisco is pushing more software markets or business versus hardware. Hardware starts getting commoditized, I think. So that more people get into it, you don't make as much money on it, whatever. So to add on to what Jason was talking about, it just makes sense to go the direction. It's, it's also Cisco's direction has been more software. So when people keep asking me, is Cisco getting out of cable? I'm like, no, Cisco is not getting out of cable. We're still doing cable, uh, but we have the RPD, we have optical nodes. Um, to be brutally honest, I thought we would have got rid of the passives five years ago. I was surprised we actually held on to taps and things like that uh, for so long. So, you know, the amplifiers and stuff, we're pushing out. We partner up with ATX and other people that are still doing amplifiers and taps and all that stuff. So now that I tiptoed around there, what was the actual question? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, what's your what's your perspective of a virtual CMTS versus a, you know, a big iron CMTS, an analog CMTS? Huh? Oh, oh, so I know where I was going to go with that. <laughs> about partial mode and load balancing. This is a cool thing. Now that it is cloud native, there's no real bonding group assignment like we do today. Like we make static bonding groups. We have this new feature called dynamic bonding groups where once the modem comes online and says, hey, I have an eight channel capability, the CM2S will make an eight channel bonding group. That's kind of in the background. Now, the modems, they know we know what the capability of a modem is, and out of 32 single carrier qualms, it could pick a bonding group or whatever it needs to do the service flow on. Could it do so 31 channels I if one's impaired? Yeah, so instead of even going to a partial mode, it could just move to a different eight channels. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could take this a step further and eventually keep a historical percent, per, per, per whatever, uh, uh, historical information, and maybe do AI or machine learning or whatever, and say, well, this modem's always had a problem with this frequency. So, you know, out of the 32 frequencies, don't even try to use 865 megahertz or 861 megahertz because he always has a problem with it. So, but instead of dropping him to six channel bonding or a seven channel bonding partial mode, just move him to a different eight channels. So the new code and the new software would almost alleviate load balancing and partial mode, I believe, because of how it can assign the downstreams on the fly to different service flows. Um, so there'd be, there'd be some more um, functionality, and I think it'll make things better for speed-wise, because I'm always worried about what happens when the RF plan is bad, what happens when the modem goes to partial mode, what happens when I get CM status messages, um, does it come in and out of partial mode? So yeah, this, but you were actually, this whole talk, you were going to go more down the line of GUIs. Now that's the part. Oh, I got those questions queued up because those, those came from the Angocom <laughs> show because yeah. he's threatening um, to take away my and, GUI. And, but and I, you know, I, all of us, 
So, so I mean, all of us here, we know CLI. Yes, we're we're very CLI oriented. But because the virtual CMTS is running on, uh, I don't know if it's an Intel based server or uh, it's running. I mean, I'm just, uh, you're probably yeah, running. And you can X86. tell us it, it, it's an Intel based processor. Yeah. I mean, these servers, I would imagine, have much more processing capability, much more RAM. And and probably much more hard drive space, SSD space than what you would have on a on a traditional CMTS. Is is that a correct statement? Yes. Yeah. So so, yeah. so so the kind of what you're talking about, John, with machine learning, um, or you know whether it's machine learning or whether it's truly AI, I would imagine you you have much more an analytic capability on the CMTS on a virtual CMTS than what you would an analog CMTS because of that massive processing power on the server. So, you know, when you're talking about load balancing on a traditional CMTS versus a vCMTS, this this is some of the things that you're starting to realize in a vCMTS, that you can do this analytics and, and, and this, you know, say, hey, I'm not going to use 687 megahertz anymore because I've been doing the trend analysis. I've been doing the analysis to say, you know, we should avoid that frequency. Those are the things you're, you're learning. And, and even the load balancing, I was focused on the cable modem load balancing, sharing resources in a service group. You could take that a step further and say, here's my centralized server farm that has the compute power. How do I load balance the compute power? How do I move RPDs? Jason and I talked about this earlier this week about would you generically allow RPDs to be combined to share resources, the CPU. Like if I have a, uh, an RPD in Salt Lake City and an RPD in Atlanta, with DAA, flexible Mac architecture, distance is not really a limitation. And the cost of real estate, you could have a server farm with solar power, a solar and a, data, a server farm together in the middle of nowhere that's cheaper, and then that's where all your servers are. And then you do DAA out to wherever across the United States. Um, and there's no reason why we couldn't do that. The question would be, would you allow the RPDs to be combined to share the same resources if they had different delays? And that's the, the one thing we'd have to look at is, is one 2,000 kilometers and the other one's only 20 kilometers. Am I going to make the 20-kilometer RPD suffer because I, I combined it with an RPD at 2,000 kilometers of sin? You know, the uh, converge interconnect network delay. Yes. And not that I want to get into a MACFI discussion here, but we talk about MACFI being a great solution because it eliminates the distance um, uh, issue, you know, you know, the timing issue associated with distance. When we talk about virtual CMTSs, and John, you're talking about going 3,000 kilometers to, to a, a remote FI device. How does that impact things like latency and timing? associated with it from a vcmts to a remote fi device i'll let jason cover that one because he and i have just been talking about this yeah we, we, we've actually done some things with with remote fi and, and just seeing you know pushing some of those distance ones um obviously you have to have a way a lot of it gets into adjusting your map advance right so that your modem stay online um probably when you're talking about those kind of distances some type of a predictive um 
or proactive grant scheduling would have a lot of benefits. And that's what, what we would do. When people start running these longer ones, um, we have something called DOCSIS predictive scheduling, where you could you could turn that on and uh, an algorithm will, uh, looks at the traffic that's coming from the modem and makes a determination on when this modem might need a grant and sends it that way. So that's that's part of you know these long distances. I, I could tell you on the on the flexible back and maybe we'll get to it. I, I'll kind of you know go into some details about how some of those microservices are um, kind of grouped and how I think a, a flexible Mac would probably be um, a lot less difficult on a virtual platform than it would be probably on a chassis based one. Okay. Well, I want to tell us right now. You're, you're okay, we're on the yeah. topic. I guess we could just go. Yeah. There. Yeah. I didn't I want to jump in. So some of it is, I, I, and I forget, maybe it's 50 some odd microservices. So those functions that we had in Doxus that were embedded in iOS took them and put them into these. And like you said, a, a microservice, you know, is this concept where they're, 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 relatively stateless. They don't rely on other microservices so that if it needs to reset, it resets. It doesn't mess up anybody else. And for Cisco, we took and divided those into uh, four categories. There are um, uh, control plane microservices. There are data plane. There's applications. Applications be things like packet cable, docs, uh, set-top gateway, etc. Um, and, and then we have real-time services. The real-time services are things like modem ranging and upstream scheduling. Um, those, those are microservices in themselves to do more of a flexible Mac type architecture, whether that goes into the RPD, whether it just goes into some type of other device in the field that front ends and um, um, an RPD versus a FM, a flexible Mac RPD. Um, you know, th those are kind of option. But the thing is that, that that software is already containerized. We're running it today on, you know, on the CMBR, on the UC, on the UGS, or, or on UGS a server platform. Right. But if you need to push it out, then you could you could certainly push that out. Yeah. And, and when you push it out, that's what we generally call like edge compute, right? Where you're pushing those, you know, right now we're in a virtualized environment, you're running them all on the server. But if you have, if you add more intelligence to that RFI node, it starts to become like a MacFi node. And now you're right. just pushing those containers into the RFI or MacFi node itself, which then becomes edge compute. Right. And I mean, I'll, I always say it real simple. I'm sure there's complexities of getting all that to work together uh, that I just kind of brush over because I'm not a programmer, but <laughs> but that is certainly the concept. And the fact that it's already in its own little container makes that a lot easier than if it's some kind of part of some other monolithic code, you got to try to pick out parts and pieces that you need to send out there. Right. So, so we're pushing fiber closer to the home and we're pushing our computational resources closer to the home which just ultimately is going to make service ideally better for everyone. So conceptually, this all sounds really great, what you guys are doing. Are you actually, you know, how's this, how's this going as far as like, are you, are you just doing this in a lab? Are you doing field trials? What's right. happening with, with this product? Yeah, a little, a little history on some of it. So we, we talked about, you know, that first 2016, and I, I mentioned that we, the cloud native one we showed in 2018. Actually, the, the cable access business unit within Cisco was kind of ahead of most of the other ones and actually deploying a cloud native, you know, microservice based product. Um, when we did that, then we kind of were picking out the Kubernetes and the Dockers and all the other kind of software that the underlying open system software, um, we were picking that out, maintaining it. 
um, Cisco, as it, John was just saying, you know, has a direction where a lot of things are moving to software. It's happening that for our 5G product. It's happening for the broadband network gateway products. So what Cisco within the service provider business unit said, hey, we want to come through and reset and basically have a group that's responsible for all those open system type you know, uh, programs. And, and we're going to have, we call it SMI, subscriber microservice infrastructure, where Cisco is going to go back and build that as, as a certain way. And then individual business units within Cisco, like our cable access business unit, are going to go and build an application on top of that. So we started out with this cloud native where we were kind of doing everything from, you know, picking out the, the Kubernetes and all the other programs in, in 2018. I think that kind of reset and more into the 2020 timeframe, we rebuilt that to run on this SMI platform that was common throughout Cisco. And uh, as far as deployment wise, I think it was just the earlier part of this year, John, I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's been fairly recent that it was, it was in some labs, but as far as actually being an orderable product was more into that time frame. Okay. Um, so, and do you guys sort of have like a roadmap of where, of where you see the product going? Yeah. Most, most of the roadmap has been around scaling. So that was kind of as getting new new processors in, new other type of you know UCS servers that we were using on it to, to move it to that um, and, and to scale from. And I didn't have those scaling numbers I was going to try to look for, but as far as from service groups, uh, capacity that we'd be able to hand network resource, et cetera, those continue to go on there. Um, the way we, we scale that product, um, a, a pod would have three um, servers on it. And that's kind of the, the way that you would deploy a Kubernetes type of deployment. And then as you scale, you add a fourth server and that gives you the same density as you were getting before. So you don't have to keep growing in these you know, groups of three on that. So those were kind of more of the features on you know, there. Some of the early deployments that we did with some customers, what we did, I, we have, and I don't know the count, John might, thousands of features on the CBR8 over time. If you look at them, the amount that are actually being used are probably a hundred or less. John, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I would I would say out of all the features, we probably used less than twenty five percent in most situations. Yeah, you know. So where I was getting to that with the roadmap, um, there was never a plan from the start to to go and look feature by feature and say if we do this on the CBR8, we want to do this on the CMBR. John had even talked about it as well. That the CMBR is. Um, when we have our CBR8, our, our, our CMTS platforms, even the UBR 7200 back in the old days, these were built on a, a router platform. So when you build it on a router platform, there are certain things you have to do the way you address an interface and do some other things. And this was some of the things that John was alluding to. When we are on the CMBR, the CMBR looks more like a like a DOCSIS platform. It looks more like a layer two platform with minimal layer three things in it. So it makes it where when we build the interface, we don't have to follow the same rules we did on the CBR8. That's how come we have a lot more flexibility that we don't have to go and build pre-built bonding groups, for example. But um, those were some of the, the things. So like we don't have to have certain things that we do with bonding groups as a feature in the roadmap on the CMBR. 
So the things that are on the CMBR now, Doxus free one downstreams, we do the load balancing, some of those kind of things. What we don't have, for example, that's on the CBR8 is we didn't have OFDMA on there. And a lot of it was some of the initial customers weren't deploying that. So that's something that we're adding for the end of the year, because certainly now OFDMA has become a lot more of an interest topic. That that's probably one of the bigger you know, things that you need on that platform um, as far as deployment wise. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going under the assumption that this is a Doxus 3.1 virtual CMTS. That's kind of That's assumed. Right. It supports OFDM in a downstream. How many yeah. how many bands of OFDM in a downstream? I, I know the deployments we've done have done with one. I don't know if I've turned up two in the lab when I've done testing on it. Um, I, I know it does. I've seen like 48 single carrier. It does more than 32 single carrier qualms because there's some people that wanted to play with that. But I, I could tell you adding some of those features are a lot easier as it should be on the cloud. Just turn it up to, you know, like a second OFDM channel. Right. And on the upstream, OFDMA, are you supporting OFDMA? Not, that's on the roadmap. It's I think roadmap. that's on, I, I think it might be, I know it's later this year. It's within this year. I don't know if it was December or something even, you know, quicker than that. Yeah. Um, how about SNMP support? Do you are you guys like fully? Do you support uh, Cable Labs MIBs for um, complete integration with things like monitoring systems, PNM systems, things like that? Yeah, no, we're, we're we've kind of got away from that, and I know you're, we're talking about the CLI. We we made a, a change when we moved to some of the things that happens with this microservices is that since they're not state based, they're kind of reporting state as it changes to a central database. Mm -hmm. They also push that information out to stream and telemetry and that's what that dashboard is grabbing when it's when it's updating so the the benefits on that compared to snmp where you're kind of polling this is more of a push model that's sending things out and and that's how we're you know sending out information from that we're not doing snmp mibs we're not supporting all the snmp mibs across the board there are some though that we can do with um we have our dashboard we call Operations Hub, which goes out and is gathering that data. And it's possible to get that data from the Ops Hub that you need. Um, there's been a few that we actually wrote and put it into a MIB format. So that Ops Hub is receiving the information, stream and telemetry, reformats it into that MIB. And then basically you're pulling that Ops Hub to get that MIB for some of the, the, the deployments that needed to have some kind of a SNMP model for it. Yeah, I mean, so I love a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll let you follow up in a moment, John. There's, I mean, there's a lot of operators that have like you know SNMP monitoring systems. Yes. Do you, so do you guys think you'll have a roadmap where you'll eventually adopt SNMP MIBs, or are you just kind of saying we're not gonna we're not gonna go down the SNMP route? We're gonna stay with streaming telemetry from a monitoring standpoint. We'll, we'll get into your dashboards in, yeah. in just a second. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think right now that's kind of our plan is that we would like to move, stick with more of a stream and telemetry and kind of try to get away from some of the SNP model. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off there, John. Go ahead. Uh, it's fine. And I cut you off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> but uh, you know, Brady, that uh, so many people do an SNMP, uh, a full walk. Of all the mids, yeah, and uh, I do it all the time, and, and bring a CMTS to its knees. Yep, and it's like SNMP sometimes is more CPU than other processes going on in the background, and then you find out five different people are polling the same thing. It's like, wait a minute, you know, um, 
we found the enemy and he is us. <laughs> it's our own doing, right? Um, so by convincing that customer is a better way, and I think that's what Jason's getting at is there's a better way than just doing SNMP and doing the polling and grabbing information and, and jacking up your CPU and affecting everything else. Um, and this would be the way to do it, having this dashboard or the information being pushed out all the time, streaming telemetry. Um, and maybe it's just a matter of education, right? Yeah, so, Teaching people that th- there is a better way. So, so simple network management protocol, SNMP, we've been, I think it was developed in the 80s, mid-80s. Uh, it, it's been around for a long time. It served us well, but is it's very slow. I mean, it should be called slow network management protocol. However, it is widely adopted amongst pretty much every cable operator operator out there. It's embedded in, in products that I make for monitoring things. Uh, but I, I do agree. It is, it's 2021 right now, and we're still using 1980s applications to monitor our stuff. I, I, would, I would actually support every vendor if they want to come up with innovative ways to stream the data back to us, to get it back to us, like, Someone like myself that runs a company called Nimble This, that we, we aggregate this data. I'd like to get the data back much faster so it does not overutilize CMTS and cable modems. There's much better technology. So, I mean, I'd love to see you guys support SNMP so it supports legacy systems. But I'm, I'm, I'm also optimistic that you guys are looking at new technologies that can stream that, provided you document it well and make it open to vendors like myself who want to in, in, uh, integrate that data with us. So speaking of that, that's why, you know, kind of the title of this is uh, uh, this this live stream is no CLI because that's something that you showed during the Angacom. Yeah. A bunch of you, a bunch of GUIs to, to communicate, to set up and configure the CMTS and no CLI. I'm like, Jason, you know, how am I going to work with this CMTS if there's no CLI? So I'd like to talk just a little bit about some of the slides that you showed at Angacom, Jason, where there was no yeah. CLI to talk to the CMTS. Does no CLI mean no leakage testing? (laughs) (laughs) Different CLI. (laughs) You got to specify command line interface. Yes, good point. Not not everybody is uh, an IT person, right? So a lot of RF guys see CLI and they think leakage testing. Cumulative leakage index. Where we're talking about the command line interface, right? Your actual commands. Yeah. So we're getting rid of all that. So tell us about your, your dashboards that you had, Jason. Yeah. So what we did is exactly what taking advantage of streaming telemetry is to move into more of a dashboard setup. I, I will say just to kind of couch some of this stuff, there are APIs where you can interface into the CNBR or the Ops Hub. So the Ops Hub is kind of the dashboard management that's getting the data and you could use APIs into the Ops Hub to get the data out, or you can use APIs to get directly into the CMBR if you want to get, you know, configuration information or something like that. So there's there's CLI-like things, but now you're using curl commands. You're using stuff that... Um, you have to have some programming experience. With. I'm not sure if I want to jump into... You're helping anybody by pushing into, you know, some other CLI. However, if you're a programmer, that's probably very very comfortable, you know, with how you would get the, the data out of, out of the system. But what we did do is we pushed more into using dashboards. So what we did is, and I forgot to count, say there might be a hundred dashboards pre-built that you might get like a list of modems. You might get like a, a modem verbose screen. You might get a, a copy of what the service groups configured what like. And then within those dashboards, um, there'll be 
pointers that you could highlight on or hyperlinks that will bring you to more detail. So if I'm looking at a cable modem and it lists that that cable modem has two service flows in the downstream, if I click on that number two, it'll be highlighted. It'll bring me to a service flow detail screen where I can see details about those particular service flows, like how much tra traffic's going through each one and these kind of things. And it shows graphically. It'll show we use Grafana to display that information. But, you know, there's within the dashboard, um, it's it's being you'll have an update time. But that's just the update that the dashboard's doing. We're getting real time data all the time from the CMBR, just like when we display it on the screens. And you have the option on there then where you can go back. And if I want to look at a 10 minute snap a snapshot of time to see how much traffic that modem's sending, I could do that. If I want to go back and look at a 30 minute snapshot of time, an hour, th those were things that we couldn't do in CLI very easily that usually you would rely on, like you were talking about some SNMP and some other third party or external applications to get that, that we can show a lot of that inside that dashboard now. Have you had feedback from your current user base on, you know, no CLI versus CLI on, on the CMTS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was some of that early testing. We actually got this product out a lot earlier. Like I said, when we were kind of early on, when we were still building our own from the cable access business unit, what we realized was is that this is probably less of a change about how it operates as DOCSIS, because really all it was doing was going to provide the same kind of capacity that we were getting on the CBR8, but it was a different way that we were going to operate it from the customers. So that was, we actually got it deployed early on with a customer in their lab and then later on in some of their productions to get feedback from them so they can say, hey, um, this is okay. This is not good for us. You know, we have CSRs that need to get this data, customer service reps that need to get this data and they get it from the CMTS that they can't, you know, this, this dashboard thing isn't adequate for them or they had some homegrown programs. So we had a lot of feedback from them and some of the dashboards were developed you know, specifically saying, hey, we need this type of application. So we, we, we developed a dashboard that would grab that. Okay. Um, so at Angacom, John Chapman had talked uh, a lot about convergence and how, you know, we have 5G, we have Doxis, you know, maybe LTE, and cable operators should be looking to uh, have basically duplication in their network. So if your Doxis network goes down, your 5G network can 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 basically provide data to your subscribers and similarly if your subscribers uh, 5g network goes down they can have backup from the doxis network uh, one of the things that was discussed also at angacom is with virtual cmts's they have the capability to not just be a doxis cmts but also uh, do other capabilities they can you know through software upgrades they can become a, a pawn cmts or maybe a uh, not not a pawn CMTS, but they can do pawn com computation. They can do, do they can be extended to do five G. Is that something that you guys are looking at? Yes. So I, whether you do it on the same platform or whether you do it, you know, I mean, when I say, I mean, literally on the same servers, but that that subscriber microservice infrastructure that I talked about, our five G, you know, cloud based, you know, control it is on that same infrastructure that that CMBR is. 
Um, we, although today, we, what we call the operations hub, you know, kind of that dashboard, it does, it manages the CMBR. We also have uh, a SmartFide, you know, uh, configuration, automated configuration platform that runs on that. Um, it isn't today, but nothing to say down the road that we couldn't get that, that the, a 5G, you know, deployment to run that same operations hub as well. So if, if I'm an operator and I'm trying to go to that vision that like John Chapman was painting where we have redundant networks and, you know, this isn't something necessarily we're doing today, but if I'm developing the network for the future, how do I do that where I, I have a wired line network and I have a wireless network that can cover each other? So if one network goes down as a subscriber, I still have coverage in my, in my home network. I yeah. have that redundancy. Certainly as a provider, I think having a... You know, we, we talked a lot about a SIN or a converged interconnect network and, and having that truly a converged network, not a purpose-built DOCSIS transport, I think would be the start if you're trying to provide that service so that that same converged, that, that same SIN would be able to, to service the 5G stuff as well as on the, uh, the cable modem, you know, the, the DOCSIS side. Um, so certainly that as a provider, I think would be uh, the start to have that on there, um, how, you know, whether it's fixed mobile or, you know, I, I don't know on, you know, some different ways you would deploy some of that. Obviously, some of the CPE might be different and that might take some, you know, some some thinking on what that would look like actually inside the home um, if you're trying to have one back up the other. Right. All right. So I'm, I'm going to be devil's advocate because, John, I mean, normally you do a better job of this, but, I, I you know, I don't want to buy a virtual CMTS because servers crash and hardware doesn't crash um is that a good argument hardware doesn't crash <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen a cmts crash never ever yeah right. <laughs> I, I would say if that's a fair argument if you took um if you took the same software that runs on a chassis based cmts and put it on um, a, a ucs server i think that would you you would you would probably have a concern with that or some because if a server crash that software really is reliant on high availability where we're doing things like you know for us we will change uh, you know keeps maintained state between redundant supervisors and that was all the thing that's 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 part of how we maintain a high level of service with a chassis based CMTS once we move to more where the, the software is rewritten well the software survives those servers going down they're not all on one server and to like what you were talking about earlier when when one microservice has problems the kubernetes just goes in and deletes it and builds it again and then you're back to where you're you're growing you know running things the same way so the um, whether a service goes, server goes down or whether, you know, a, a super, whatever doesn't, I, what you're looking at is what do your, what do your customers see? And your customers are going to see that same high availability, whether it's running on a server software based or whether it's running on a, a chassis based solution. Okay. Well, you know, maybe another argument is servers get hacked and the CMTS doesn't get hacked. Yeah. I, I think there's provisions in there that you probably, I, I see some people whose CMTS is pretty loose, and <laughs> they they might not have been hacked yet, or maybe they just didn't know about it. Or, so I or they know about it, and they don't tell anybody. Yeah, well, it could yeah. be that too. But I mean, I see some with very little access control list, very little control plane protection, that kind of thing. 
So I think those those same avenues that you have, the same things that you have to control um, a, a CMTS, I think you have that same ability to control on a server. Again, I think a lot of the deployments we're talking about today that we're looking at, those servers would be located on that the provider's premises, they would have some type of, you know, access control that would limit who's getting into those servers. So I think there's still, you still have that same ability on both platforms. Sure. So are there other arguments that you guys have seen, or maybe you're working out internally as to, you know, what perhaps the future is for CMTSs, virtual CMTSs versus hardware, and why maybe an operator may choose a virtual CMTS over an analog-based CMTS? I, I would let me jump in. I mean, the, the biggest hurdle is you have to go DAA. You have to do digital fiber. Digital fiber means you have no more analog video. That right there could be the the hurdle that you can't jump. Right? Uh, you still have to provide maybe analog video for some reason. But you know, we all know we're going that direction of digital video, and maybe as far as saying uh, legacy digital video goes away as well. It's all IP. If you can go all IP, then things get uh, more palatable. You can uh, you can uh, do it easier. But then you get the argument of once it's all IP, I could do GPON, EPON. But now I have to run fiber all the way through the house, right? So um, everything has a price. and um, But to get to virtual and get to cloud, you have to take that first step, which is digital fiber. I have to get rid of my analog fiber links and go digital fiber, which to me, shouldn't be as uh, hard of a, of a hurdle in that regard. Unless you still have a lot of analog stuff you got to take care of, yeah. you know, with, with spectrum monitoring and everything, you know. I have a path track system in my head end, re- return path monitoring. Well, that goes away unless I have some type of NDF, NDR, uh, or some way to digitize the analog signal, right? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think I think that's potentially the, the biggest uh the biggest limiting factor, but I, I don't see that as a short-term limiting factor because as service groups increase, as data rates increase, uh, as we want to improve service to subscribers, a lot of people are going to be going to remote FI. DAA is, is, is a good way to go. Or we may see people going to Mac FI. Um, I, I think that's almost an inevitable uh, direction that operators are going to go until they finally say we're going to go to fiber, and and fiber is probably the ultimate solution for every cable operator to go to when they can afford it, and we know when it's when they're finally driven to go there. So, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot I, of value in this. I, I would agree. I would just even to kind of add on to John's, where I think um, some limiting things is that you know. We're all busy. All the providers are busy. And if you know, if you can work things in the, in the platforms you have, um, there probably isn't as big of a driver to make these these kind of big technology change. I think it's going to be when that happens. And that's to to John's point and yours both on, you know, to get to this virtual, you have to make the step to some type of distributed access architecture. And if you're not ready to do that yet and you have no driver from your marketing team or other type of things, ultimately customers, they want capacity and latency, you know, concerns. And, and less concerned that, hey, this 
this service needs to be virtualized or whatever. That's probably not a, a good selling point. So it's going to be more when you when that when those drivers like that that happen. And I think some of the scaling numbers. I think certainly Docs 4.0 when these kind of scale numbers come out, um, there'll be some. You know, well obviously do Docs 4.0. You need to move to a distributed access arch- architecture too. And I think those are going to be some of the points in time that come that are going to be. Hey, this is when people are going to make this jump because they need to. And then the hopefully the benefits you see from some of the things like that dashboard is, you know, maybe my operations become simpler that, you know, it's easier for me to get information out the system where I don't have to type command line to do it. And then maybe if the information's there, John had talked about too, maybe I could do some kind of artificial intelligence and maybe help troubleshoot problems quicker and those type of things. Sure. Yeah. So if I'm an operator and I'm, I'm not a capacity not going to be upgrading to either a new CMTS or virtual CMTS. But I am a capacity. Uh, I'm, you know, from what everything we talk about, I would, I would really think virtual CMTSs are the future for upgrades because I, I think they're going to future-proof you in a lot of different ways. They future-proof you because you can. You, I mean, it's a software upgrade if you want to go from Doxis three one to Doxis four out. As an example, it's a software upgrade right. if you want to go from Doxis to Pawn or Doxis to 5G. We talked about this in a discussion. I don't think you can do that same thing if you buy a hardware-based analog CMTS. Right. You're locked Absolutely. into right. what that comes with. So virtual right. CMTS, to me, gives you so many more options and so many different directions to go to. You guys definitely have to get OFDMA in. Uh, I yeah. mean, that's, that's obviously an obvious that's mandatory requirement. Yeah. So when's that going to come out again? Uh, this year, I think uh, December is that the latest, but it's already scheduled for this year. I think what it actually is, there is an early release where OFDMA is there. Um, we made quite a bit of enhancements to OFDMA on the CBR8 where we um, you know, do things like do a lot of profile IUC adjustments based on code word errors and all that. Those second rounds of features, I think, are coming in more on the December release. And But I think that's probably needed for a production deployment. Okay. And how much does your CMTS, the virtual CMTS cost again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I thought it was going to get on. Free <laughs> payments of $19.99. All right. <laughs> I like it. 500 customers that call in. <laughs> call in quick, folks. Stuff? You only have a couple Just minutes left. <laughs> Make the check out to see Ash. <laughs> All right. I like it. So, guys, a few minutes left. Um, anything you want to promote coming up? Uh, shows, anything like that? John, I'll let you go first. Um, I just did a live learning, so you should be able to get to that remotely. I think, what's it called? Uh, live learning, um, uh, SCTE. Uh, Steve Condor was on there from Teleste Intercept. I, I did a talk on there about uh, 204 megahertz upstream, uh, how we get there, what to look out for. And then uh, Asaf from Harmonic talked about the stuff we're talking about now, virtual. Uh, and it was uh, focused on how are we pushing this 10G initiative, meaning 10 gigabit per second downstream, one gig to, to five gig upstream? How do we get there? What's our stepping stones? And what are our, our hurdles? And so I talk about that. Uh, from there, I also just wrote a, um, an article on 204, and I, I labeled it uh, how to offer one gigabit per second on the upstream. 204 is the answer. Uh, and basically, it'll be in the fall edition of Broadband Library. So that's uh, coming out. And then Jason and I should be supporting the SCT Expo October. And I think, Brady, you and I, and maybe Ron Hranick as well, 
should be on the uh, cable games uh, celebrity group team or whatever they're calling right. it. Yes. Uh, which is strange because it's listed for Wednesday, October 13th, I believe, at 8.30 a.m. I'm like, who does a cable games at 8.30 a.m.? <laughs> I'm like, cable guys don't get up at 8.30 a.m. <laughs> I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Jason, <laughs> yourself? Yeah, I have been actually been doing some work with John, too. I've been doing some latency testing that I probably need to get some documents around it, whether it's in a webinar or something else, but maybe around some things on on tuning some values that probably we may not mess with a bunch. Uh, things like the uh, data back off values and some other things like that, that um, how that reacts with channels are full. Uh, John did a lot of work with some folks when, you know, when we kind of had this Last COVID had a lot more upstream capacity that was getting kicked off and what happens when a channel is really full and, and some of these with request grants. So um, probably getting together some data around that. As John said, we'll be at the SCTE. I think we'll, we'll figure out what we'll be demoing there. I'm sure this CMBR will be one of the products around that as well. Okay. And myself, uh, my next article in Broadband Library is going to be on virtual CMTSs and, and why I think they're pretty much the, the future of CMTSs and, and the benefits that they have to be. Uh, and then for Cable Tech Expo, I have two papers I'm doing, one on um, profile management application uh, and another one on machine learning and proactive network maintenance. And then as John said, I'll also be on this celebrity uh, cable games, which I think is just to show, you know, guys like me who talk tech and doxis and everything like that, they're they're going to show that because I don't actually go out and core cables and everything that every every day, they're going to show just how bad I am at it. So I'll be coming in last <laughs> on that, or maybe second to last next wait. to John. <laughs> I can't wait to run an OTDR and try to do a fiber splice <laughs> and course You know, I tried to core some cable, hardline cable at one of those games in like California years ago, and I. I torqued it so bad, I broke the center conductor <laughs> off completely. Yes. I was like, ah, ah, I just twisted it oh, right it's, off. It's going yeah. to be ugly. I, I mean, people should really come to watch us do these cable <laughs> games because they're going to see some ugliness going on there. So it's going to be, be a lot of fun. Jeopardy. We should be good at the Jeopardy game, and that might be it. The Jeopardy <laughs> I would roll at. The cable games I'm going to drool at. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So. So I, everyone who watched the show, please subscribe, like, and you know, smash the thumbs up bell if you like the content. Greatly appreciate it. For you guys, great content today. So glad you uh, gave us an update on the virtual CMTS. So glad you're staying, uh, staying in the game. I think it's going to be great stuff you're pumping out. So thanks, everyone, for watching. We, uh, we'll be back in another month with more great content. So long, and see you later. Take care. Yeah.